0: Well, good evening. It's good to be here with you all tonight. You know, I was yesterday, uh, I was at the office and I was praying for the service today. And I felt like God just spoke some things to my heart that I was supposed to share before we get into the message. So I want to do that and uh, just believing that somebody's here. There's something that, that God wants to, to speak to you. I was thinking about back in the spring and the summer of 2007, when Vanessa and I were praying about uh, what was next for us, we had this just this sense of just speaking of seasons earlier during the worship wrap up that there was a change of season that was coming for us. The church that I was at had been there for seventeen years on staff for eight. It's the church where I made a vow of devotion to Christ, experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was ordained in ministry. Vanessa and I got married there. Our oldest was baptized there. We had so much history there, but we knew God was calling something uh, was was on the horizon for us that was going to be for change, and we felt like it was going to be vocational. So we didn't know if it was a a role change at the church. Uh, We didn't know there was an opportunity to work for a large international uh, child sponsorship agency. And then there was this little tiny church called City Life meeting in Regal Cinema in Newport News, barely a hundred people. And we would sometimes go on our way to vacation in the Outer Banks because it was Vanessa's dad that planted that church out of Williamsburg and with his other daughter and then my brother-in-law. And we would go there and have service with them before we would go on vacation. And we would walk out of there going... Thank God He's not calling us to do that, right? Because that is a lot of work. Because the church we came from had been there for over 30 years. It was like there was a money tree out back. We had this massive budget and 20-some staff. And and here they were just working hard. They would get there like six in the morning and setting up. Some of you were there. Where's Greg Reed? Are you right? You're breaking into a cold sweat, just thinking about it, are not you? And and so, but sure enough, right? Uh, that's what God had for us. And I, I remember praying. One day about this decision, and I called a friend, and and this friend, this is what this friend said to me. I was I was talking to him about our options, and and he said, Fred, if if there's no opportunity for failure, there's no room for God. If there's no opportunity for failure, there's 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 no room for God. And and then soon after that, we were at church during a worship service. We were down at the altar just praying because we were you know about ready to make this big decision, and God spoke to me and said, I've called you to be a pastor. And so those two things brought clarity for the decision that we were going to make. We knew that we had to look for the opportunity where there was risk, because that's where there was going to be room for God. He wanted us to do something that was going to require faith. And then the second is that we had a word from the Lord that gave us direction. So I just felt impressed to share that, just having some sense. There might be somebody here tonight that you're making a big decision. And the two things I feel like God wants to say to you is, look for the opportunity that's going to require some faith. And wait until you have a word from the Lord that gives you clarity and direction. So, Father, whoever that's for tonight, I pray, Father, that that they're going to find the courage of conviction to reach for the risk that's going to demand faith that comes from their heart. And I pray they would continue to be patient as they press into you in times and places of prayer and worship, waiting for a word from you that brings great clarity and gives them permission to take that first step. In Jesus' name, come on and Everybody said Amen. You know, that's one of the reasons why we so loved uh, Pastor Justin and, and Steph. I'm just going to call them Juice because that's what I've been calling him my whole life. So I'm just done with it. So anyway, so we love Juice and Steph. You know, why? Because they have an appetite for faith. There's a capacity in their life. They're not afraid of risk. They're not afraid of failure because they're, 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 they're people that just love to move in places of faith. And they're also people that hear from God. And uh, Juice, when he was our student ministries pastor for five years before coming here to be the campus pastor, that's how he led the student ministries. And I know that's how he's leading here. And, uh, and now that Stephanie is with them, the team that they are, that you are favored of God to have them here. Uh, As your pastor, so we love them deeply, and so none of my kids wanted to come with me tonight to Suffolk because Juice was preaching in Newport News, right? I was like, "You guys, anybody rolling with me tonight?" That no, we're not. Is that even a question? Because Juice is going to be here, so I think they were a little bit more excited than I would prefer. So, hey, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five. We're going to be working out of this text a little bit tonight. I'm going to read the first eleven verses. And then I want to share uh, a little bit from that. So I don't know if we'll get through all of it. We'll see. Uh, If not, the notes will be on the website, and you can download that PDF. So, all right, Luke chapter 5, you can turn there or swipe there, whatever's good for you. Or if neither, then you can just listen. Uh, Verse 1 says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who's Peter, right? Asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So we sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night. It didn't catch a thing. These guys, they fish For a living, right? Jesus is a carpenter. So you can hear, Peter's like, you know, you might be able to build a table, but don't be coming onto my boat and telling me how I should fish, right? So he says, all right, we worked hard all night, right? This is, that, that was a nice way of saying what I just said. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. This time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees and before Jesus. And he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they follow Jesus. So, so somebody here bold enough to tell me what you, what you do for a living. Anybody here bold enough to tell me what you do for a living? Any hands, Mike? Engineer. So if you were coming up for your annual performance appraisal and your boss said to you, Mike, you didn't do so good this year because your, the number of root canals you did were really down and the, all the other dental work that we expect of you, I just, I'm not seeing it in your productivity. Right? You're, you're going to look at him and go, I'm not sure if I'm in the twilight zone, right? This, right? You would say to him, "Hey, that's not fair because you never assigned those kinds of responsibilities to me and that's not even in your field of work, right? Somebody else, what do you somebody else what do you do for a living? Anybody? Dustin. You're an analyst. Yes. Former Navy, right? So let's say back when you were in the Navy, your CO comes to you and says, "You were an E what? E5? And he says you're going to be I'm going to have to drop you down to an E4 because you didn't deliver enough babies last month. Right? Your OBGYN work is way down. Right? You're going to say well you're going to say yes sir because you're in the navy, right? And then you're going to do what he says. Right? But but he's going to say hey this isn't fair because he's Assessing my work based on assignments that he never gave to me. We 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 could go around the room and keep doing that with every person. If you have a job, then there are certain responsibilities that you're given, and your judge, your performance is judged based on how well you do the assignments that you've been given. It's the same with churches. We have a boss, and his name is Jesus, and he's given us some assignments. And one day not only do we as individuals want to hear him say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, but as a church, as a, as a spiritual family, as a community of faith, we want to hear him say to us, to city life, well done, my good and faithful servant. And what dictates that is, one, you have to do some things, right, because it's well done, so there has to be a doing. It has to be done well. But the key to the end, he calls us his servant, which means that he's the boss, and he gets to assign to us what he expects us to do, and we're going to be judged by that in the end. And we believe as a church that in Luke chapter 5, there are several assignments that he has given to us as a church, something that's unique to us. Other churches might do them too, but at the end of the day, we're not functioning in a comparative relationship with other churches in our community. We're in a partnership relationship with other churches in our community, but we're not in a comparative battle with them or a competitive battle. We're comparing our progress based on the assignment that our boss has given to us. And the first assignment is this, an assignment of patience. Somebody say patience. I know it's it's hard to make that word even come out of our mouth, isn't it? A patient assignment. Listen to verse 5. Master, Simon replied, we have worked hard all night. Now let me jump down to verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees but this time he says, O oh Lord, please leave me. Now, the distinction between the title that he gives to Jesus is should be instructive to us. The first time he calls him master, which in the Greek is epistates. And, and it's a term of respect. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're your master. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're your boss, right? There are people that you encounter in the community, and at times, and, and you might call them sir, right? There's, there's terms that you use to acknowledge the authority that they have, even if they, that authority is not over you. You tracking with me? But when he experiences this miracle, he doesn't say epistates. He doesn't call him master. He calls him Lord, which is the Greek kyrios, And that simply means my master, right? It means you're the Lord of me. It means that I want your authority to be over my life, right? It's a powerful shift in the relationship that Peter has with Christ in this moment. Now, you might say, well, Fred, isn't this the calling of the disciples? And so I'm not sure the nuance of that language fits, but but it's not. Now, this text, you find a similar story in some other places in the Bible. You find this same text in in Matthew 4, 18-22, you find it in Mark 1, 16-20. But when I say you find this text, what I mean is you find a similar account, but it's not the same account. There's, there's different approaches to the interpretation of what's called the Lucan narrative. And one of them is that all three of these are exactly the same because they're so similar, because they're so familiar. But I'm of the camp that says, no, that's a mistake. Because if you look at where Luke puts it in the story of Jesus's life, he puts it several months after Jesus's baptism. But the other two gospel accounts have it right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry where those accounts belong. But if you give Luke the permission to be the historian that he is, right? That's one of the distinctives of the gospel of Luke. And then he also gives us the book of Acts, that he's, he was a journalist. Even though he was a physician, he was a journalist of his day. And the history that he, he, was, he wrote with great precision. And so to say that the Lucan narrative belongs where these other two are, it means that Luke forsook the chronology of the moment, even though he didn't do that with any of his other writings. So it forces you to put it months later. Now that's an important distinction because then you begin to understand the difference between Master and Lord. And this is one of the responsibilities that we've been given as a church is to be patient with people. A lot of people come into the church and they think Jesus is a Master. They think that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. They believe that that you only get to heaven through him. They believe all these things about Christ. But yet they've not stepped into a relationship where Jesus is all of those things for them. And sometimes as a church we get impatient with people, right? They come in believing all of these things about Jesus being a master. But we want them in about 13 seconds to get to a place where he's their Lord. And we're, we're racing and rushing and, and pressing to get them from epistates to kyrios. And what God says, hey... Slow down, right? It takes time for people. The Lucan narrative is powerful because Peter, he's actually been traveling with Jesus, but it's been intermittent. He would go travel some, and then, like many of the other disciples, they would come back to their work. They had families. They had responsibilities. See, if you push through the Gospels too quickly, you, you buy into this idea that they were all, all in right from the beginning. But that comes with a filter of knowing the end of the story. And we read through that filter, but that's not how it was. They, they, believed, they even believed that he was the Messiah, which is one of the reasons why they traveled with him. But it took months before Peter was willing to say, I'm all in. It took months for Peter to get to a place where he was willing to say, I recognize not only that you are the Messiah of my nation, I want you to be my Messiah. I'm going to put my faith and my trust into your hands. We have a patience assignment here at the City Life Church to not be in a hurry with people. People come in with problems. People come in with junk in their life. People come in with biases and hurts and hang-ups and all kinds of beliefs that, that kind of get, get them sidetracked. And as churches, we have to be careful to not be in too much of a hurry for all of those things to begin to heal in their life. You want me to switch to this other mic? On here? Nice. All right, I'm going to start over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, where is Jews? <laughs> oh, we have a, a saying here at the City Life Church called "Participation brings transformation." Because we're patient with people. T- too many churches they want people to change before they let them get involved. Too many churches want people to get from, from Epistates to Kyrios, from, from Master to Lord before they can do anything. Well, you can come in, you can give, you can sit, you can listen, you can show up, but you can't be a part. And what we say is no. The very thing that you're keeping them from participating in is the very thing that they need to make the jump from Master to Lord because it's participation that brings the transformation. So you might see somebody taking up the offering or playing in the the worship team and, and before service they were out getting something out of their car and dropped something on their foot and words came out of their mouth and you're like, wow. And then you see them taking up the offering and you're like, really wow. Or maybe you thought some of the same words that you heard them say. What kind of church is this? It's a patient church. It's a church that believes that participation brings transformation. We don't take chances with the kids. You got to apply for that. We do background checks, right? We don't take chances with kids. We don't take chances with minors and people that work with the student ministry. Same thing. Rigorous background check. You should see the application they have to fill out, interviews that they have to do. But you know what? We're taking chances with you. We're taking chances with you because participation brings transformation. We have a patience assignment here at the City Life Church. If City Life is going to be your home. We're going to let you be a part sometimes before you've reached the places of transformation that even God himself is expecting of you because it's the participation that gets you there. There's a patient assignment. Assignment number two, we have a work assignment. Somebody say work. Work. Two bad words right in a row, right? Patience and work. Some of you are like, that's enough for me already. Verse two. Listen to verse two. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. How many people like to have been on a cruise before? Anybody? Hands up. Hands up. Come on. Yeah, cruises. All right. What about, what about vacation? Anybody here take a vacation? Right? All right, Vacation. Yeah. What about resorts? You've been to a resort that's all inclusive, right? Yeah. Nice. All right. So out of all of those examples, cruises, vacations, uh, uh, all-inclusive resorts, what is it about doing those things that you like? You slip your hand up, I'll point to you, and you tell me what it is. What is it about going on those things that you like? Somebody's doing everything for you, right? Let's just sit down and think about that. Oh, right? It just feels good, doesn't it? Somebody else. What do you like about it? Yes, ma'am. Getting away from your problems, right? You, we know they're waiting for us, but it's sure good to be away from them for a little while, right? Nice. Somebody else. Extra sleep. Amen. Yes. No alarms, right? Parents don't get to come in and wake you up when you're on vacation, right? Right, parents. The auntie reads. All right. There's rules on vacation, right? Let those kids sleep. Somebody over here. Something you like about vacation? Anybody? no children. Yeah, we're just leaving them, right? You get out early before they wake up, they don't know, right? There's all kinds of things about vacation that that we love. But for all of us in some way, it's related to work a little bit, whether it's the work of family, or the work of having to get up early, or the work of just the labors of life, the work of living through problems. We, we, we like to be in settings and environments where, where nothing is required of us. When Jesus went down to the shores of the Sea of Galilee that day, there were all kinds of boats that he could have chosen. And back then, that's not new for us, right? There were even tour boats that that tourists could get on in Jesus' day on the Sea of Galilee. People could pay money and go on a boat ride. He didn't get into those boats. You know what kind of boat he got on? He got onto a working vessel. He got onto a boat that requires effort. He he got onto a, a boat that maybe was a little bit dirty because people labored in that place. City life has a work assignment. Which means that we do not want to be a church that caters to the person that comes in and wants everything done for them forever. It, it, it might be when you're visiting that, that, that you're, you're not looking to get involved with the work because you're still checking things out, right? That's, that's good. That's great. That's great. But if you've been here for several months or maybe been here for a few years, at some point you have to acknowledge that, no, 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 there is a work assignment that we've been given. That's part of the nature of the church. It's a a prophetic picture that he gives to us. If you believe that I do about the Bible, that nothing is coincidental or incidental, that, that everything is intentional about the activities of Christ, even the boat that he gets in, he's trying to teach us something through his unspoken word, through his actions. It's one of the things about Oktoberfest we're talking about. We have a work assignment. We want people to show up and have fun, but you should also come with an expectation. There's work that I'm supposed to do if this is the church that I call home. Matthew 20, 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to Luke 9, 62. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow, why does he pick a plow? Because when you're holding onto a plow, you're sweating a little bit because you're working. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That verse means a lot of things, but part of it means the person who's not willing to work in their life as a follower of Christ is not fit for the kingdom of God. Work assignment that's been given to us. We have 12 pathways that we teach here at City Life that many people call them spiritual disciplines. We like to call them pathways because they take you somewhere, but you got to work to do them. Reading your Bible, worshiping and prayer and fasting, those are the first four, and, and not in order of importance, but just they're all grouped together because they're all necessary. Then you've got reaching and gathering and, and accountability, right? You, you've got service. You've got service and stewardship and giving and rest. You, you've got all of these different things that God looks to us to do, and they all require effort. They're all work. And Jesus says, Get busy doing those things. We have another saying here at City Life. We like to, we're going to make your soul sweat, right? We believe in grace because that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. We cannot earn the heaven that's waiting for us, but if we want to experience the heaven on earth, there's work and effort that we've got to bring to bear because of the grace that we've been given. Listen to Luke three, one through two. It was now the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, right? This is another great example of Luke the journalist. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee, and his brother Philip was the ruler over Aturia. Aetua- and Trache- oh, these words are hard, right? Trachonidas and Lusanias, and the ruler over Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. At this time, a message from God came, not to any of those people. Not the people who had education, not the people who had authority, not the people who had been working for for years to advance their their career, not the people that were popular, not the people that were famous. At this time, a message came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. I was away at a conference this week, and the person, one of the people that did a devotion worked out of that text. It was the first time I'd heard it explained that way because I've only ever looked at this as giving some historical context. And he was saying, no, this isn't historical context. Yeah, it is in part, but even more importantly, what it is saying to us is that even if you feel like you've got nothing to offer, God has an assignment for you. So many times we come into churches and we look around and, and there's a list like this, right? And, and this list are the key leaders or the people that are talented, people that are, that are gifted, people that maybe, maybe are popular because of their, their charisma. And, and we can find ourselves shrinking back and saying that there must not be work for me to do here because I'm not one of those people. And you feel like maybe you're that one that's a little bit on the outside looking in. And John the Baptist would say, welcome to my journey. There's an assignment for every person. Our circumstance, our situation, our condition is never permission-giving for us to say to God, you should pick one of those people over there because they're better suited. God says, no, I created you. I know exactly what you're suited for, and I'm going to give you an assignment that I created for you from the foundations of the earth, and you're not free to tell me that you're not willing to do it or it best belongs with someone else because I'm the boss and you're the servant. And there's a doing that has to be done well. And the only way that the church is going to do it collectively is if we do it individually. There's a work assignment that he has for us. Number three, there's a hope assignment. Somebody say hope. Somebody's like, finally, right? Let's talk about that. Enough about patience and work. Can we talk about hope a little bit? We have a hope assignment here at the City Life Church. Verse 5, it says, Master Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, come on, if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Psalm 27, 13 says, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Another translation renders that I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of of the Lord in the land of the living. Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Another translation says exceedingly abundantly above. How about Hebrews 6.19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Hope, hope, and hope. You know, I was sharing a little bit earlier about our journey and praying about coming here. And, and so we ended up making the decision, obviously, to come and be a part of the team at City Life Church and to lead this congregation forward. We moved from Richmond to Newport News in October of 2007, so it'll be, it'll be 10 years this October uh, that, that, uh, that we've been a part of this amazing church and, and, and so it was in 2008, after about a year, uh, God really began to speak to us about change again. But this time the change was not us leaving the church, but leading the church through change. And we made the big shift from Sunday to Saturday. And we held our first Saturday service uh, in December of 2008 over off of 28 Harpersville Road, which was then called the Mosaic. It was a multi-church campus we made that shift. There was great momentum that was happening in the church. We were excited. We had this word from God about being on Saturday and the rest that that was going to bring to our church by having a true Sabbath on Sunday and, and lots of other reasons that we knew God was calling us to make that change. May of 2009, the church is shrinking. We, we've, we've lost about 60 people not because anything bad happened, right? But because military orders came through for key families. We had a huge crop of college students that were all seniors, right? People had job changes. It was like the perfect storm, right? There was no controversy. Nothing negative had happened. But all of a sudden, we, we left that service that Saturday night, and it was barely 90 people in there. The church was smaller than it was when we came. We, the giving wasn't meeting budget. And, and I remember driving home that night and going, What have we done? Right? And what God is trying to say, Fred, if there's no opportunity for failure, there's no room for God. And I'm like you. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. That's not what I want to hear, right? We were discouraged. I remember talking with Vanessa that night, and we were looking at each other. We began to ask some hard questions. Did, did we make a mistake coming here? Was this, is this one of those things where God was trying to teach us a lesson in life through a mistake that we made? We, we really began to despair. I remember we would get together with some of the key leaders, and, and we, were, we were struggling for answers. I mean, if, if that path continued, the church would not make it by the end of that year. But things began to turn because we didn't give up because we knew we had a work assignment that had been given to us. And work assignments always require hope. Because if you've been around Jesus for any amount of time, you discover this principle that there are often seasons of failing before there are seasons of thriving. There, there are often seasons of, of, of downward turns right before your biggest breakthrough. It's why in Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 3, verse 11, it, right? It, there's that list that we all know from Ecclesiastes 3, especially if you're a child of the 70s, right? There's that great song that talks about all the seasons. Is that the birds? Is that the birds, Paul? Yeah, the birds, right? I'm going to sing it for you right now. No, I'm just kidding. like, no, Everybody knows me like, don't let him sing in the mic, right? It would be bad. It would be bad. There's things on that list we like. And there's things on that list we don't like, right? In Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Holy Spirit inspires Solomon to say that all of the seasons are beautiful. It doesn't say some of them are beautiful. It doesn't say the ones that you recognize as good are beautiful. It says all of the seasons are beautiful. See, even seasons of failing are important to us because it prepares us for the seasons of thriving. I dare say that what God did in all of our hearts back in 2009, those of us were here at the church then. God did something deep inside of us to make us ready for the success that was coming. So that we would remember it had little to do with us and had everything to do with him. So we would not be so tempted to steal that glory that belonged to the father. So so that we would learn to hunker down and work harder in those seasons. So that we would learn to reach inside and find hope even when despair was clamoring for attention. There are seasons of failing that come before seasons of thriving. We have a hope calling here at the City Life Church because people come in through these doors so often and they haven't hoped in so long they've forgotten what it feels like. And we're here to sit with them and to say, no, 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 you can hope again. And sometimes people look at us and they say, well, you don't know what it's like. And maybe we don't know what it's like because we're not in their story. But all of us have had a part of our story where we've struggled. And God has given us the ability to hope again. Sometimes as a church, we have a responsibility to find other people in our congregation who have been through exactly what they've been through. Right? And then we connect them together. And then they begin to see, well, if they can make it, I can make it too, right? We have a responsibility as a church to help people find hope again. This conference that I was at up in New York for Elam, which is our our fellowship that we're connected to based out of Lyman, New York, just out of Rochester. One of the things we love about Elam, it was their annual elders retreat. And so they invite affiliated pastors to come and observe All of their meetings, we never step out in that one time, even when they're discussing the most sensitive things because they have a commitment to transparency, right? That's the kind of fellowship we want to be a part of. It was remarkable. So I was up there all week in their meetings. They invite us to participate in some of the decisions that they're making. And, And it was a time of transition. Their global missions director who oversees all the missionaries internationally for all of Elam Fellowship, he's been in this role for almost... 10 years, he's in his 60s, Is retiring, and, and they were passing the mantle, this, this 30-some-year-old guy, and it was such an exciting time. And, and one of the devotions one morning, Tom Brazell, who was the global missions director, was retiring. He shared this story about in the 70s when he planted his first church up in Buffalo, and, and, and he was there, and, they, and they, they rented this storefront. He said, if it was packed out, you would have 50 people in there. He said, we never saw that once. The, the, the bishop, the Catholic bishop of that area, not picking on the Catholic church, just this one particular bishop, sent, sent, sent letters to the Catholic churches in Buffalo and says, do not extend a hand of fellowship to this man. Right, And so there were community leaders that were part of those Catholic congregations, and word began to to, to spread, right? False rumors. It was just things were hard for Tom and his wife. They they go there with this great vision, and they were there for a few years, and they were doing everything right. He was telling the story that that at a few years in, one Saturday night, he was in there by himself. He was praying over every chair, walking down the right aisle, and all these, praying over every one. And he said he just sat down, and he just broke. He said, I wept I, he said, I began to. He, he said, I don't even know if I've ever sobbed uncontrollably like that, but I did that night. And he said, in that cry, I prayed a prayer. And the prayer he prayed was this God, if I ever have an opportunity to encourage someone else in ministry who's in a hard place, I pray that I will never fail them. Years down the road, he becomes the global missions director. And you know what his tenure as the global missions director is marked by above all else? The missionaries of Elam Fellowship have never felt so cared for except under his administration. It's powerful, isn't it? You want to talk about being in a hard place? Live in the middle of a jungle in a third world country where people want to kill you and your children. That's a hard place. But Tom knew how to encourage that heart that was despairing because he had felt that same feeling in his own journey. See, sometimes we want to run away, right? We're, we're, we're up here in this place of despair and we want to get as far away from that despair as we can and we turn around and it's, it's following us because God doesn't want us to get away from it too quick because sometimes that despair is the very thing that we need to make us ready for something that's in our assignment and our tomorrow. Listen to, this, listen to this verse. This comes out of Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. How about 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. See, sometimes our trouble is to make us ready for the comfort that we're supposed to bring to someone else in our tomorrow When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is your comfort. It is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. And we are confident that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in the comfort that God gives to us. We have a hope assignment that we've been given here at the City Life Church to encourage people to not rush too quickly out of the circumstance that brings despair because oftentimes there's something that God wants to deposit in us. Sometimes despair is what actually creates the space in your heart to feel the virtue of hope. And we want to be a church that helps people feel hope again. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. This is our fourth assignment. There's many that you find in this text. I'm just sharing four with you tonight. We have a team assignment here at the City Life Church. We have a team assignment. Because in John 14, Jesus makes this incredible declaration. He says, you're going to do greater things than I did. Right? We read that, and then we look at what Jesus did, and we go, wow, how is that even possible? It's the Greek, it's megas ergon, greater things. It's the word that gives us mega, and it's the word that gives us ergonomics, working, doing. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things, greater works than me. And then it's interesting, when you get to John 17, he prays for something. You know what he prays for? He prays that the church will be one as he and the Father are one. And as a church, we believe that Jesus' promise is connected with his prayer. We believe that Megas Ergon and greater things, one of the ways that happens in cities, is when churches strive to be unified together. Doesn't mean that we lose our autonomy. Doesn't mean that we have to give up our doctrinal differences. Here we are in the Lutheran church here in Suffolk and in Newport News. We partner with a High Church Baptist Church. It's right. Most people have never even heard of High Church Baptists. It's, it's almost Episcopalian in their worship expression, but with a Baptist doctrine. And here we are, the City Life Church, partnering with both of these, and we're going to continue to do this forever. We're going to find churches that are different than us and extend a hand, not because it's economically feasible, not because it's more convenient, not because it's easier, but because we believe that greater things aren't going to come without greater unity. And somebody's got to be the church that says, let's work better together. Let's work together. We have a team assignment that we've been given as a church. Will we ever own property? I think we will one day. But what we're not going to do is shift to 10 a.m. on Sunday. We're staying on Saturday, and we're going to invite somebody else to come in and fill that Sunday slot. A church doesn't have enough churches and ministries in there until they're in each other's way. That's what I believe. Churches sit empty too much. They're dark too often. And I think it makes God sad. And I think sometimes the revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we all hope to see in our lifetime, it's not going to come until churches are willing to stand together and be a part of this assignment that we call team. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, God, I think back to how we started just believing so strongly that there's somebody here making some big decisions. And I pray, Father, that whoever they might be, whoever they might be, that they're going to choose the path that's going to require faith. And they're going to have the self-control to wait until there's a word from you that brings clarity and direction. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.
1: There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. you My heart becomes free, and the shame is under your presence alone. So, Holy Spirit, you're welcome.